All right. Well, Warm the Hockey Podcast back with you. We are in the 100s for our episodes. Um, I believe this is 102. So we've had a few weeks off in between, um, so it might seem like it's more, but it's episode 102, Warm the Hockey Podcast. Um, this week, we're going to talk a little bit about surprises um, so far and what we see for the second half of the season, um, trade deadline, different things like that. Uh, few points to discuss with all that uh we're going to kick things off first of all like we always do mentioning um, the audio platforms and the social media platforms where you can find us facebook and instagram warm the hockey podcast at warm the hockey podcast respectively engage with us write uh questions concerns stories anything we'd love to hear from you um apple podcast spotify uh youtube amazon music iHeartRadio. you can find us there subscribe rate and review uh, follow along and share with family and friends. Uh, we're in the hockey podcast episode 102, I believe. Don't I hope I'm not misquoting myself, but uh, you're right. Episode 102. <clears throat> Kick things off real quick. Um, I know it's a few weeks since it happened now, um, and so we're a little behind the ball on it. Um, but we feel we need to at least touch on it, even if it's not breaking news. Um, the 16 year old kid in Connecticut. Uh, who tragically passed away during a hockey game? Uh, have I have the uh, his name uh, Teddy Balkand. Um He's 16, high school kid in Connecticut. Um, he was a sophomore uh, defenseman uh, in New Canaan. Uh, he collided with a player from uh, Brunswick School in, in Greenwich, sustained a severe neck injury, um, transported to Greenwich Hospital, but did not survive surgery. Um, I believe, and it doesn't look like the, the article here um, says specifically, but I believe the collision led to the opponent's skate clipping his neck and clipping and clipping an artery <clears throat> in the neck. Um, I, I believe that's what happened. Um, don't quote me on it. I don't want to misspeak, especially when it comes to something tragic and heartbreaking like this um no matter how many listeners we have i don't want to miss no misspeak no. or misquote on anything of this nature um but i what i heard and my understanding was that the collision um, led to an opponent's skate clipping uh, an artery in his neck um, and you almost i should I should not chuckle when talking about this stuff i chuckle almost out of awkwardness and, and being a little uncomfortable. Um, you almost had an incident like that with the hurricanes. You see the, the hype around their storm surge last week or something like that racing around, racing around. It was like, they were treating it like a, the storm surge NASCAR race, I think is what they called it. And they dove to cross the blue line. But if you look at the picture, the guy in front's skate is right up against the guy's neck and uh and this was and that happened not far removed from the news of teddy balkan's uh accident and incident and uh if you're if you're old enough to remember clint malarchuk's uh accident in buffalo <clears throat> same thing his life was saved uh by the miracle of a uh, of a doctor being right at ringside <clears throat> uh richard zednick got clipped a few years ago, I believe he was playing for the Capitals at the time. <clears throat> it's a, it's a real thing. I'm, I'm shocked. It doesn't happen more often. The majority of them seem to happen as a guy goes wide and cuts to the net. He invariably ends up getting upended, skates up head high, uh, but it can happen anywhere, anytime. And <clears throat> from my own personal experience, I played most of my life without a helmet. And when I did wear a helmet, finally, after the early, in the early 2000s, when I did wear a helmet, it was the old Jofa bike helmet. It was, you know, the guys called it a diaper. Uh, and it was, um, it, it did practically nothing. <clears throat> and I never once wore a mouth guard, but I wore a neck guard the whole time. And I don't know why, I could never explain to you why, I never had a close call but I wore a neck guard every single time I went on the ice, never wore a helmet until somebody made me 
Um, but I, I'm, I'm a believer. I've, I've believed in them all along. And I, I would, if I went back in the ice now, I would wear a neck guard. So well, my, my son, my work. son will wear one. That's for sure. Um, <clears throat> absolutely. I never wore one. I had one, no. or I had one early on. You got, you got me one early on to start, but I, it was one of those bib ones. So it had the thing that went underneath. Yeah. And, you that, and when I moved, that kept popping up, right? So yeah, those, when I'd play, the the bib would keep popping up. So it was frustrating, especially in a game. So I just took it off. Um, later on, they de- they developed just the ones that go here, right? No bib or anything like that. Had I started with one of those, maybe I would have stuck with it. Um, but the ones that the ones that are a, a part of your undershirt are the are my favorite ones, but. Those are not easy to find, actually. Um, but it, it goes to show you different things to use for for safety. You know, like yeah. in, in baseball, they had those heart heart protectors. You know, you used to wear over exactly. Yeah. Because um, I mean, the, you, things pop up in in anywhere. Like um, he's a stand up comedian now, um, but his name's Drew Lynch, and he uh, he was playing. Um, I believe it was just men's league softball and he uh, took a mishandled a ground ball and it popped him in the throat. Oh yeah. Damaged his, um, his vocal cords. And then, but when he took it, he also fell and he hit his head. So what happened was he, he then, he jokes about it. If you listen to any of his clips or any of his standups or anything, he jokes about, you know, Oh, doctors always say don't fall asleep with a concussion. And he did. And, um, but what ended up happening was, and this was something I never thought you'd would happen or you could see, but he fell asleep during, with, during the concussion. And when he woke up, it actually did, it actually gave him a permanent stutter because really? of the damage, damage to the vocal cords. So the concussion, falling asleep with the concussion led to a permanent stutter. <laughs> now he speak. now he talks with a stutter. So, it's one of those things where you got to be it's uh the the problem is 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 we get and you you see it from a skill perspective you see it from the different things you you get too many kids nowadays who who want to be cool more than they want to be effective or safe and um I want I want to be cool, so I'm not going to wear a neck guard because it's just so awkward. It looks like I'm wearing a looks like I'm wearing um a weird shirt or a weird you know anything yeah. like that. Or I'm in a I'm in a um I'm not a, I'm not sc- scoring goals or I'm not doing anything unless I'm going bar down. <laughs> forget that I'm forget that I'm buzzing pucks by my own teammates heads or I'm, you know, or I'm missing the net 95% of the time it's bar down, you know, and things like that. So there's a, there's a misconception with today's generation that to be an effective hockey player, you have to be, you have to be cool. You have to have that swagger. And you know, what's cool results. The coolest thing in the world is results and that's wins. Not, not necessarily your goals or your plus minus or anything else, but wins are really cool. I don't know if we talked about this on a few months ago or not. It seems like we did. I don't remember if we were on air or not. <clears throat> Back in the early 2000s when, uh, um, oh gosh, Brent Sutter was coaching the uh, his team in Red Deer. <clears throat> and they were not doing well. I think it was before Christmas, around midseason, not having a good year he went in before practice one day and took everyone's sticks and replaced them all with wood, took every composite stick out of the, out of the building, replaced them all with wood. And he told the guys, this is the only stick you get. I'm not giving you another stick. If you break this one, I don't know what to tell you. This is your stick. They in that in practice, they started getting shots through to the net the big windup scraping the rafters with your windup went away. They started hitting the net. They ran off like 14 out of 15 wins and went on that spring to win the Memorial cup. Yep. And they were playing with wood sticks. I don't know what it cost them in miles per hour in the, on their shot. I don't know what it, what it did, 
was it made them quit wringing them off the glass above the net. It, it stopped them from missing one-timers by three feet, and it started producing wins, and they started playing smarter. So to your point exactly, the coolest thing in the world is winning, and nobody's going to ask whether you looked good doing it when you're carrying a cup around. So, and it starts, with, the, it starts with development, you know, and today's, co- today's coaches don't, don't help it. Um, I, I, I witnessed it um, in coaching. Social and media doesn't help. Social media doesn't help, but I witnessed it. I, I, during, when I coached, I was, I was on the ice. I witnessed it firsthand from, from these, from these coaches being put in charge of skills camps. Yeah. And you, you know who I'm talking about. I'm not going to name names. You, you oh, know specifically the person I'm talking about. These people that are put in charge of skills camps and they're teaching and they're teaching kids to shoot. But what they're doing is they're, they themselves are putting it bar down. They're, they're putting it bar down. I watched, I watched the, I watched eyes on in person the coach, the coaches themselves ring three out of five shots off the glass while trying to teach these kids the proper way to shoot three out of five. And then the other two went bar down. Like there was nothing, there was no fundamentals about it, about, Hey, pucks on net for rebounds. Hey, you know, put it in skates, put it in feet, make it hard to see anything like that. It was just three out of five off the glass, two bar down, and that's how you do it. And so we, we talk all the time, developmental and fundamentals, it starts there. And unfortunately, in certain areas, I witnessed it firsthand. Again, won't name the coach or the association. You and I both know who we're talking about. But, it's, but it, you get coaches that, that aren't properly doing it. And then you wonder why, why you get kids that um, – Bryce Peterson, you remember him? You get kids that will never, ever pass the puck and you get kids even in squirts that are, that are basically using a a pitching wedge and getting it off over the glass. Like there's nothing. I'll tell you what you do. If you, if you think we're wrong, if you're, or if this offends anybody, first off tough, you don't know what you're talking about. Secondly, go, go and listen to, or try to get some, background on guys like Brett Hull and Gretzky and Ovechkin and the best goal scorers in history. And they will tell you, get it off quick, get it on net. And nobody knows the difference when it goes in, whether it was going 70 or 80 or 90. Phil Kessel has like a 70 whip on his stick. He can't I mean, he can't hardly shoot it out of his shadow. And here's a guy that scores 30 goals a year every year. Uh, like, just – but when you're, when you're dealing with trick shot guys on social media and coaches who don't know what they're doing and maybe, you know, God love them, parents that don't know any better than to counteract what the kids are being taught at the rink, this is what you end up with. So it's and, – and it's not just that. It's defensive fundamentals. It's guys that can skate and shoot and, and bench press and do all the fancy stuff in the world. And when you get them in a hockey game, they have no common sense. They have no instinct. They have no idea what they're doing. And then coaches in junior are taking this fantastically skilled kid and trying to unlearn everything that he's been taught for the last 10 years and reprogram him to play defensively, to win face-offs, how to check properly, how to take a hit and give a hit, how to pass the puck, like how to get to open ice, moving without the puck, all the things that you and I talk about as, as second nature. A lot of these kids at 17 years old have no idea what, what that's all about. And it's a shame. But it's that's, okay. Like I'm, I'm, I was baffled at, at um, John Torrell's comments about the Zegers play. I, it, well, his comments about it bothered me because it's like John needs to understand that we're, we're not in the seventies and eighties anymore. So to make a comment of, Oh, if he did that back in the day, well, John right, wrong or indifferent, we're not back in the day. The, no. the, the point I'm, the point I'm making with it though, is that a Zegers type play I'm okay with so long as, 
so long as the kid is has a foundation of fundamentals beforehand. And he appears to. So don't don't throw him on the ice. And I'm not talking Zegers specifically. I'm just talking but in general. In general. Um, don't throw the kid on the ice and the first thing he t- you teach him or the first thing he tries is a Zegris play over the right. back of the net. You need to, it needs to be fundamental. Don't the first shot that you teach this kid at a skills camp should better not be barred down, <laughs> teach him fundamentals and developmental hockey. And as he gets older, he or she gets older. Now you can start to develop and you can start to send them to, to, different skills coaches that might have trick plays or might do this and that because they have a foundation of not only a skating ability, but also the right way to move the puck, to shoot, to pass, anything like that fundamentals. And if you don't do that and you just start them out right away with bar down Zegers passes, the the lacrosse style, Michigan goal, all these things, then that's all they're going to do. And that's all they're going to try. And then you get 95% of the shots off the glass and you get kids at 17 or 18 who struggle to make who struggle to make a double A team because right. because they ha- they're not effective unless they're standing by themselves. So if you want to fiddle around in practice and improve your skills, like uh, I just saw in um, in the Islander Maple Leaf game, Mitch Marner on the back check. <clears throat> he was back checking hard, trying to take the trying to take the player driving the center lane. It was a two-on-one. Marner's right behind the guy going in down the center lane. <clears throat> Marner was just about shoulder to shoulder with him, and a saucer pass came across from the winger into the middle, and Marner tapped it out of the air, in midair, in full stride, charging back to his own net. You're not going to do that unless you practice some eye-hand coordination to knock down passes to accept passes that are coming at your knees. If you practice that stuff, that's great. And I'll use Sebastian Ajo. Remember, he did the lacrosse goal a couple of years ago. Well, there was some criticism over that, just like the Zegras play. That kid has become a very solid hockey player, a very effective player. He may never do that again. I I don't care whether he does or not. He's an effective guy, and Brendan Moore's got him playing at a very, very high level every single night. He does it all over the ice. So that particular play may be three and a half seconds out of a 20-year career. If that's the case, great. But if you're trying to do that constantly, you're, you're not going to get far. So if you ever get an opportunity to take a pass out of midair, or to do, you know, to, to bat the puck in the net out of midair or something to that effect. Great. Good on you for having the eye-hand coordination and for fiddling with it in practice and fiddling with, with your skills coach all summer. But as a part of the game, it should never be a focal point of your, of your night. So, you know, put it where it belongs. I, I don't see any problem with it. There's, a, there's changes that go on in the game. I like torts. Uh, I've, be, I've become a bigger fan of him over the last 10 years. And I think what he was trying to say was it, was, it was unique, but is it really good for all of the thousands of 10-year-olds watching that? You know, every, you know every single one of them the next day in practice was trying it. Fine, but stick with the fundamentals. If you get a chance to ever do that, go. But stick with the fundamentals. You're not, you're not likely to. Stick with the fundamentals. I do think, you know, to go the other way just slightly, I do think a play like that is good in that regard because it'll help a lot of kids want to to start playing hockey. Well, yeah. And those type of things, you can do those type of things. Wow. Look at how cool that was. And it starts the next generation of being interested in the game of hockey, which you need in order for the game to continue. Um, so long as when they start playing, you don't lose it. You don't focus solely on that. And you start with the fundamentals and development. Um, so anyway, back to, listen, uh, back to for- the Balkan family, the thoughts and prayers with his family and, and, um, everything kind of car- carrying on natural conversation. So I like it, but carrying on a little bit back to, uh, the Balkan family with, with that back to net guards and things. Um, so thoughts and prayers there. Uh, yes, definitely. And, you know, at the same time, we just this past week lost uh, Clark Gillies. Clark Gillies, yep. yep. Who was a fantastic human being and, um, and, a, and a great hockey player, just completely. For a guy in the Hall of Fame to say that he was underrated, he was underrated. 
he's in the hall and he deserves to be there and he'll always be remembered for what kind of a guy he was on and off the ice. Quintessential power forward, over 300 goals, four Stanley Cups, um, took on Terry O'Reilly, took on the toughest guys in the league and scored 20 goals every year. So God love them. Uh, and you know what, uh, on, a, on a related note, because they're from the same hometown, I don't want my old friend Doug Wickenheiser to be forgotten. Yep. He was a great guy. He was, um, and I'll just give you a, a couple minutes background on him. <clears throat> he was the first, first pick of the uh, Montreal Canadiens, and I believe it was 1980. Uh, he was a big, strong kid from Saskatchewan, played in the dub. Uh, it just was at monstrous numbers in the dub. He was about 6'1", probably 200 pounds. <clears throat> Montreal was trying to get a little bigger and a little tougher. And so they drafted him and passed on Denny Savard. It didn't work out. Wicks was never well received. The community in Montreal wanted Denny Savard. They did not want anybody else, not Doug Wickenheiser or anyone else. So he never really... He never really caught on there. Uh, he was traded to St. Louis. And in a, in a rookie party thing, a couple of years later, he was taking part in, in you know, being out one night with, with rookies, <clears throat> stepped off the back of a pickup and busted his ACL. And he was never the same. Uh, and then in his, um, in his 30s, uh, died of cancer. And, you know, just... Uh, and he was such a beauty of a guy. I got to know him really well. Uh, rented a, I rented a room from um, a couple of women in St. Louis because I was hardly ever there. So I rented a, a room in their apartment. And he was dating one of them. And this guy, you know, we would stay out until all hours of the morning. And at 6 a.m., he's in my room going, hey, get up. I got a tea time. Let's go. I mean, the guy never ran out of energy. Nicest kid you could ever want to be around. And just a tragic, a tragic story from start to finish. For a guy who played in the NHL, don't forget him. Uh, look him up if you're not familiar. Doug's, Doug Wickenheiser was a, was a great kid. And I, I don't want guys like him to be forgotten just because they're not in the Hall of Fame or because it was 20 years ago or so. So anyway, God love you, Wicks. Um, thoughts and prayers to the Balkan family and uh, yes. Ely's family. Um, yeah. And, don't yeah. forget. Never forget. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Warm the Hockey Podcast, episode 102, uh, started in kind of a somber, serious note. Um, transitioning, though, it's, uh, we're about halfway, give or take a few games through the season. Um, we're kind of esta- established ourselves now on who it will likely be in the playoffs, especially in the East. The East is kind of set. They're, the eight teams there are kind of set with exception of just final seating. Um, right. Kind of separating, kind of kind of figuring things out. Um, no question. A few, a few surprises based on our preseason, early season predictions, um, number things like that. Uh, things to discuss in regards to the trade deadline coming up, um, who makes a big splash, all that stuff. I will say this. I will say this. I'm not one for um, – I. I told you so's, but I will say, um, I will say that I was so far correct on my comments about the Edmonton Oilers. Um, yes, you were. And it's, it's fan, it's fantastic that, you know, Tippett's great and Holland is awesome and you know, all this stuff, but you know what? What did I what what did I say about them when everybody was hyping them not only before the season but early season when they started at they started nine and two or whatever their record was everybody was hyping them and like I always joked with uh, with you guys about you know the Colorado Rockies you know or anything like that I'm sitting I'm sitting there going well just be patient yeah. And here we are. And why? Why? Because at the end of the day, when all you have, and I don't mean all you have, Tyson Berry's a good, a good player. Um, Bouchard is tremendous. You know, yeah. Nurse is ter- terrific. Things like that. But when all you have production-wise is one guy, one or two guys, eventually yeah. that catches up to you. 
it's the same it's the same argument to say it's the same argument to say wow look at the colorado avalanche they're the number one scoring team in the nhl but their goaltending is shaky yeah well at the end of the day they can win the president's trophy they can do whatever the hell they want but come playoff time that goaltending is what's going to it's what's going to do them in or vice versa wow all-star future hall of fame goaltender but they can't put the puck in the net well even an all-star future hall of fame goaltender will eventually let pucks through at some point you you gotta have gotta have depth you gotta have a, a team worth of production and ability and all edmonton has proven that they have right now is dry settling with david and it's and it's showing all of a sudden teams catch on all of a sudden teams start start producing and moving and now edmonton's 2 and 13 in the in the past 15 games and yet they're still only 3 points out of a playoff spot so if this i mean if seriously they they are not going there unless they get it righted and quick they got no cap room they got their their depth has dried up what their what their depth was doing in the first month of the season it is no longer doing they are they need help on defense they need a lot of scoring depth and they've not been sturdy in goal they've been hit with covid shutdowns they've been hit with injuries but but every team has everybody has don't don't even buy that so you got to get this thing righted the the west believe it or not with the exception of maybe edmonton san jose and calgary swapping spots at some point the eight teams in the west are set just like the east i mean you you could be pretty assured of at least 14 if not 15 of the 16 playoff teams today so uh, well, speaking it, speaking of playoffs, not good in a way. It's, there's nothing. There's going to be a lot of teams with nothing to play for. Might be a lot of musical chairs with respect to the trade deadline. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. It, there's good and bad with it being mm-hmm. established already. Um, again, I can't. Again, I can't. With teams like Chicago, I can't say I'm I'm surprised based on the comments I made because their refusal to <laughs> to pick a lane. Right. They didn't, they either, they didn't go all in, but they also didn't choose a rebuild. So they didn't pick a lane. So what are you going to do here? So they're not last place, but they're not going to make the playoffs. So, and then, and then you come out and you make a comment that Taves and Kane are the only untouchables. So that makes Dak and Debrinket and Kubalik and all these guys tradable. These guys are your future. Right. These guys are what you need to build around for a rebuild. But Taves and Kane are the ones you're keeping. Look, I'm all for I'm all for career franchise guys with teams. I like that. I I don't I honestly think there's not enough of it. I do too. And with, with and all this stuff, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going to I'm going home to Toronto. Okay, well that's great. I, if I were the NH, in the NHL, I'd love to come home and play for the Avalanche. Right. Love it. At the same time, there's also a, a respect factor for the team that had faith in you, that drafted you, that that gave you this this moment. And there's not enough of it anymore. And paid you a hundred million, by yeah, the way. There's not enough of it anymore. That's why I'm hoping I'm hoping guys like Stamkos finishes in Tampa. I'm hoping Dowdy finishes in LA. I'm hoping Landeskog and McKinnon and even Rantanen, even Makar. I'm hoping all three or four of those guys spend their entire careers in Colorado. I'm, I'm hoping that Matthews can finish in Toronto. Maybe, maybe not. I'm hoping, you know, Goudreau in Calgary or, you know, Besser in Vancouver, things like that. We, in my opinion, there needs to be more of that loyalty of, of hometown teams. These guys drafted me. My career is here. Loyalty. Yes, Evan, but if I, if I have no choice, if, if I get released or traded, it is what it is. But if I but, have a choice, I'm staying. And you do have a choice because both, all these guys that you're talking about have limited or full no moves. But think, too, if you're rebuilding in Chicago, you one of the things that you've got to build around is leadership. And nobody is going to give a young player high 
draft picks and, and prospects, nobody is going to get provide better leadership and credibility than two of your guys with three Stanley Cups each and a history of knowing how the game works and how to act like a pro, and that's Kane and Taves. So do I want to spend $20 million of my cap per year for leadership? Wow, that's a tough one. But you've got to have somebody around that can oh, 100%. Not, kids understand. I'm not saying that they that Taves and Kane need to, need to just go. No, no, I know. You've, but what, but, what, but it's again, in the long list of Chicago problems that have been right. going on this season, another optics problem being that you're coming out and saying that they are the only untouchables and you're not even going to consider or listen to offers. You're not even going to do what you need to, to build a future to bring it Kubalik Dak. These are guys that you build a future around. That's a nucleus for you. And that's a nucleus. Oh. And if, if that means Taves and Kane on their next contract are willing to take a, a discount in order to be that leadership, fine. And if not, then you have some decisions to make, but those, those three guys are your, are your nucleus. And the yep. fact that you've now made them expendable says a lot to what's going on to me, to what's going on in Chicago right now. And, or are you trying to light a fire under them? Maybe, I don't know, but it, it just, it was baffling. You mentioned, you mentioned Edmonton and Chicago of the, of the teams that we would not have thought four months ago we're going to be wallowing around looking for a lottery pick. What are your big surprises so far? Well, I mean, you, you can't say Edmonton's a surprise because you said all along they're not going. They're not a surprise to me. Um, and yeah. on the uh, on the Edmonton thing, I, I want to pose something to you while I while I talk about some surprises, and then I want to hear your thoughts after you've thought about it for a minute. Okay. Because um, again. Tortorella came out, remember, and made comments about the type of player McDavid is. Yeah. Is there something to that, though, in regards to playoff hockey? Does McDavid, does either Edmonton need more Tom Wilson's, Josh Anderson's around him, or does McDavid himself need to toughen up a little bit because McDavid's high skill hockey doesn't take the Edmonton Oilers very far in the playoffs. And yes, that part of it is part of it is all you have is McDavid in that regard, but also part of it is, 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 you know, clearly a hundred point guy every year and, Oh, he's carrying the team. And yet they either don't make the playoffs or they flunk out. Does his style of game, at least in the playoffs, need to be different? That's that's a question, rhetorical or not. That's a question. Yeah. He needs better support, certainly. <clears throat> he cannot, and, and Crosby didn't do it. Wayne Gretzky didn't do it. Ovechkin didn't do it. Yager didn't do it. Lemieux didn't do it. None of the great players did it by themselves, ever. Were they instrumental? Were they focal? Absolutely but you've got to have support. And we talk about depth all the time until there are four lines and three pairs in Edmonton that can play in every shift. No, he does not. Nobody has the style of play that can carry a team. One thing that I will tell you, because I, I saw it when they were rookies and when they were 22, 23 years old, Connor McDavid needs to be very careful not to say much. He needs to, he needs to be really careful with what he says and how much he says. Gretzky had a reputation as a 21, 22-year-old as a yapper. Crosby had a reputation as a yapper. Until you mature enough to outgrow that and just learn to shut up and take it, You'll earn the respect of the referees. You'll earn the respect of the media and the fans if you just play your game and don't be don't be waving your arms and giving the big shrug your shoulders every time you get touched. Play your game, work a little harder, and show your teammates and everybody who's watching you, which is everyone, that you're the toughest guy on the ice no matter what happens. And, and that's a matter of not necessarily how he plays but how he reacts. But no, I, I would say uh, Connor Davis is difficult to handle as any single player maybe that I've ever seen. 
but absolutely no one can carry a team without all that depth. And we know that. Well, I'm going to gloss over um, this week um, the topic of officiating um, because my blood pressure will go sky high uh, with how officiating has been this season so far. But uh, moving forward from that to surprises, um, Edmonton, not a surprise. Arizona, where they are, not a surprise. Um, Montreal, I wouldn't say it's a full-on surprise. I'm surprised they're last. I'm not surprised they're out of a playoff spot. Um, and that's not, to, that's not to undermine any credibility of last season. Last season is last season, and you still have to get on the ice and play, whether, whether it's just simply in your division or it's everybody. You still get on the ice and play. You still compete. You still earn it. I'm not going to pull a PK Subban or Drew Doughty here and say that it's not that it's not credible or real. It, it was what it was that they made the Stanley Cup final. Right. Yep. How about Philadelphia? That being said, that being said, though, I'm not surprised they're out of a playoff spot. I am surprised they're so far in last place. That's that with Montreal in regards to Montreal. That's a surprise to me is that they are so far in last place. The, to go from the, the cup final to very likely the first overall pick in a few months is fantastic. I mean, that's a, that's a spectacular spiral and Carrie Price being gone, Shea Weber being gone all the changes that have taken place, having Joel Edmondson out of the lineup, uh, having problems with Jonathan Drouin, like there's, there's a myriad issues there, but boy, is that a free fall. You saw it and it's not comparable because they didn't make the f- cup final. Um, to me, it shows that Montreal was hitting a little bit above their weight class last year. Um, that's fair team. You get a team like, um, the 13, 14 avalanche who ran away with, with the division and, oh my gosh, rookie, rookie year for McKinnon. And, oh, here we go. Bounced in the first round. And then after that, they're not only out of a playoffs playoff spot, but then they get a 48 point year and they get, so you get examples of like that where maybe they're not, and you look at them now, and they're not a—they weren't and aren't a bad team. At that time, they were hitting above their weight class, right. and I yeah, think Montreal, Montreal last year was hitting a little bit above their weight class, and have come back to earth a little bit here. Uh, most where, teams aren't that way, Evan. Like a lot of teams can are very guilty of being false positive, making that cup run happens all the time. A lot of teams then are are likewise false negative. They're not as bad as they look, but you start adding up injuries, uh, maybe a couple of cold goaltenders and some other problems, guys that didn't show up and guys out of the lineup for whatever reason. Uh, and and then you know when a when a team starts to go cold, and I'll use the example of the Philadelphia Flyers. Oh, that's boy. a that's a good looking team on paper. We both liked them as much as anybody in the beginning of the season, but when it starts to go bad, holy mackerel, does it go bad? Yeah. Wow. And I, at the end of the year, I will have missed, I will have missed the Flyers ending position by 30 points. Yep. Oh, hundred percent. Um, I think it's at this point that they're just not going to make the playoffs. I think that's just the way it is. So let's, let's admit to our, to ourselves and to our listeners right now, we were dead wrong about the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, yeah. I, I think other than, other than that, though, like in East in the East, I don't in the East we were pretty dead on with some of some of our picks. Now, obviously, seeding will come into place, um, but in terms of being there in the playoffs, I think we were pretty dead on. Um, yeah. Big the- surprise! A big surprise in the West for me, um, and I'll I'll say this with egg on my face. Um, Nashville Predators. Oh, Nashville playing, and Minnesota both. They're playing lights out hockey in Nashville, yeah. and and more specifically, more specifically, and this is the part I say with egg on my face because you know where I stand with him. Matt Duchesne is Matt Duchesne is having himself a a pretty good year. Yep, um, he's on the score sheet. He's effective. He's he's having himself a pretty good year. Um, and 
how I feel about him, whether that's steeped in, in credible thoughts or it's a personal thing with how he handled things when he was in Colorado or both either way one it, it doesn't change how I feel about him but you know he's having himself a year and you got to give credit to him and Absolutely. you see Soros is tremendous in net and he's been great filling and in for pack a pack of pickle peppers and um <laughs> And all that. Um, so and, yeah, look at this is a results world, dude. It's a it, it is an absolutely a results world. It doesn't matter what you did yesterday. It doesn't matter what you might think you're going to do tomorrow. It's a results world. Matt Duchesne is putting up results. The team is putting up results. Guys who have underachieved fantastically in the past, like Ryan Johansson, putting up results. That's all that matters. And they've got a third line that is as good as anybody's in the league. So, okay, you know, I, like, we're good with that. And same with Minnesota. Like, I never – I thought Minnesota would struggle to get out of the lottery. And here they are playing really well, big plus on the year, um, solid playoff spot, could, could go on a run and challenge for, you know, maybe second or third in that division. <clears throat> and then conversely, while we're talking about negative surprises, I had no idea that Dallas and Winnipeg – could be as bad as they are. That that shocks me. The rest of it, Seattle, Edmonton, San Jose, no big deal. How about our goaltending consultants team, the Anaheim Ducks? Who had them picked for a solid playoff team? Uh, oof, you know, <laughs> I didn't. Um, now here's the question. They've come back to earth a little bit. Do they make the playoffs? That's that's the question. Um, in terms of where they are now, they've been a bit of a surprise. They've they've competed. They've they've been there. They're tough to play against. They're you know they're there. And our favorite goaltender, um, and we all do it. You do it with the Leafs. I do it with the Avs. And Owen does it with the Ducks. We all are a little pessimistic in our views of things. Um, so Owen will, Owen will hear this or, or have something to say about it saying, oh, well, watch them shit the bed. But, you know, they're, they're playing tremendously and Gibson's strong in net and, and everything. Um, I, I think they have a chance of being a solid wild card team, um, if not even second or third in the division. Um, partly because the Pacific Division is not the strongest of, of divisions this year. And, sure. you know, so they, they can stand out a little bit. Um, they, they, have, they are they surprising. Have, I've seen them play everybody tough. They, I've seen them play the top teams and play them really, really tough. So they're making strides. They're going to probably, as we know, they need to figure out how to keep John Gibson from, from leaving town. They've got a really good young core. This dries, Jimmy Drysdale on defense is a fantastic skater, great with the puck. As we know, Zegris and, and Comtois and, and, uh, Steel and Max Jones. These are these are good young core guys. So I, I like them. I am the same with the Los Angeles Kings. Yeah. This is um, LA Kings. They played. I watched them play the other night, and they, you know, they gave top team in the Western Conference in Colorado a run for their money. So you know they're they're playing strong hockey. And I LA, I never thought I didn't think would be there um, with. Dowdy and Kopitar and Brown on the other side of 33 and, and yep. all this stuff they're you know, and Jonathan quick and everything, but you know what they've, they, they've done to me, LA's done what Chicago should have done. And they've invested and committed to their future while also doing what they needed to, to keep some solid leadership guys around. Right. That's that's exactly right. And look, it's, look, you know, it's a pretty good looking rebuild. Look and at Kempe. Look at Kempe and Anderson and and Net and Kaliev and these guys. But surrounding them is Audi and and yep. Brown and Kopitar yep. and to insulate them. And now, and now you've got some quality Stanley Cup championship leadership to help elevate these kids during a rebuild process and it's something that Chicago is not doing. And it, so you look at the comparison there, LA is doing what Chicago should be doing and with, with their youth and with their pipeline and with their depth and it's, and it's showing. And Rob Blake has done a tremendous job in LA. 
and you know it's it's showing and i i i'm confident with how they're playing la will be there at the end of the year whether they whether they're cup contenders or not is another conversation but they will be there at the end of the year and they'll they'll give they'll give anaheim or whoever they get in the first round a good contest and right quickie for a while yeah. and they they can be pretty sturdy now byfield's healthy and it, uh, and it gets you and it gets you playoff experience for some of your younger guys so that when when Dowdy's career is up or when when these Dowdy or Kopitar cap out now yeah. now you trust Kaliev and you trust Anderson and you trust these guys because they've got that experience that competitive experience and it's the right way to do it pipeline wise LA so Colorado these different teams have done it, it, it tremendously well in terms of drafting development and their pipeline for building to the future and doing all that stuff. Tremendous, tremendous job. Nothing but positives to say about the LA Kings. They they've done very, very well. If you don't draft, you don't win. You've got to come out of the, you've got to come out of the draft every year with a minimum of one, if not two full-time NHLers. If you can't do that with seven picks, you are destined for limbo. And the worst place you can be is in the middle of the pack. You're not making the playoffs. Your fan base gets upset and you're not getting a top pick. So you've got to learn how to draft. As, as we've said many, many times, nobody has to learn how to draft Connor McDavid or Austin Matthews or McKinnon. Nobody has to even, you don't even have to do anything. Any nine-year-old with a TV set can draft those guys. It's finding, it's finding Nick Lidstrom in the third round. That's where the magic is. That's where the cups are. That's where the domination is. When you can come out of a draft with three or four guys that play every night, you're going to start to you're going to start to turn everything around in a big hurry. Well, that's, got, it's, it's a diamond in the rough. It's a diamond in the rough, and it's 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 that. That's why it confuses me when when they come out and make absolute statements in Chicago, like DeBrinket, a guy who is a second or third round draft pick that nobody thought would be there. He's expendable. Kubalik, Dak, these guys are expendable. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see whether they really are or not. They may be expendable, but the price tag might be so incredibly high that maybe they like the rebuild better having uh, Kubalik or Dak move for a first-round pick and a prospect or something. Who knows? But I got one thing I need to point out before before we move away, uh, and it may or may not come true but I still I'm a, I'm a fan when the season started I was a fan of the Kings and a fan of the Ottawa Senators as far as the rebuilds are concerned yep. Ottawa is is near the bottom of their division and they're not looking good but they have if you count them up right now as of this recording Ottawa has nine games in hand on Tampa They've played nine fewer games than Tampa. They've played six fewer games than uh, Montreal, eight fewer than Detroit. If this team can just play a couple of games above 500, they're going to challenge. They won't get to Boston for a playoff spot, certainly, uh, but they're going to challenge a little bit. And they're difficult to play against. They, they're, a very, they're a very plucky team. And I like watching them. And going back to your statement earlier about loyalty, finishing your career someplace, I would hope that Brady Kachuk starts and finishes in Ottawa. He's a good kid and a good player. And as soon as their health and their goaltending and their depth solidifies around him, you know, uh, those of us who are fans of teams that they have to play in their division every night, we have to start hating them again pretty soon. Yep, yep. Uh, fin- let's finish here real quick with a, a few, with a little bit of, with a minute or two of trade deadline speculation. Um, okay. It, put it, put yourself in in position here of a team that is there but needs, that is there for a Stanley Cup but needs a, needs that unwavering goaltender. Okay. Um, we'll use we'll use my boys in Colorado as an example. Okay. Kemper and Francois have been tremendous the past couple weeks. Yep. Is, is it something, 
and there's different aspects of this to the question, um, but I'll go with the one specific. Is this something that you do? You go out and get a flurry. You go out and you know type a goaltender. Likely won't he? Likely won't resign. No, and you can't resign. And and to get him, you had to hemorrhage a bit of your pipeline. Is that a risk worth taking to go all in on a Stanley Cup, or do you? trust the process and trust that you can get it done with what you have to you, also ensure that you can continue to compete in the years to come. Now, one trade is not going to completely ruin your future, but, but it will, it will bleed you a little bit. Like the rumor, like the, the talk um, between Colorado and Philadelphia, Fletcher and Sackick spoke, Sackick likes Drew. Yeah. Fletcher, though, proposed a trade and of um, a first-round pick, a, um, I believe, Justin Barron. Yeah. And Alex Newhook, which Sackick immediately re- rejected because he doesn't want to move Newhook. No. I appreciate I like Newhook. But – that's a, an example of the type of trade you're looking at to get a piece like that. And so is that something you're, you take the risk on when it comes to a goaltender, which, it, which you need, um, or, or do you, do you trust the tandem that you have so long as they can stay healthy and trust the process? You can only make that decision if you see them in practice every day. Uh, when these two guys are healthy, and again, I know there's been a lot of criticism, and rightfully so, because their goaltending's been the Achilles heel of this team. Franco's has trouble staying out of the shop. He's, he's uh, spends too much time on the trainer's table. Uh, Kemper has not played up to where he was when he was playing in no pressure whatsoever in Phoenix. You know mentally that a goaltender playing with house money in Phoenix where nobody knows the difference, nobody cares, you have nothing but upside. If you win a couple of games, if you make 48 saves, you're a hero, even if you lose. In Colorado, you can't, you can't give up goals. Uh, you can't give up a, a win, lose on 24 shots because this is a cup contender. So that kind of pressure is different. Now, if he adjusts to that, and you only know this being around them every day, if Kemper adjusts to that pressure and becomes Kemper of Phoenix, then they're fine. And if if Franzos can play every fourth night and stay healthy, that goaltending tandem would be fine. If if that if those two things don't happen, then you've got to go get Flurry, who will not cost a lot. Because he's not, he's got too much of a cap hit to trade. He's at the end of a contract, so he's not going to re, may or may not resign anywhere. <clears throat> so he's not going to cost you much. He might cost you Marty Cout or a second rounder or something like that. So if you had to pick up Flurry as an insurance policy, especially if you get an injury, that's not a bad move. Claude you Giroux, if you can do it cheap, I'm okay with it. If you can do it cheap, I'm okay with it. Yeah. Then, you can, then you can you can trio it, Franzos, Kemper, and a flurry. Exactly. To, to use Colorado as an example, there's several other teams that are in a, a similar position, but to use them as an example, you can trio it, and flurry can be that leadership, and he can be the the B goaltender in a tandem with Kemper, while Franzos is the guy there to to backstop if you if you exactly. need the minutes. Um, I'm okay with that. If you have to give up. Uh, prospect first round pick and this player for for something like that i'm as nervous as the goaltending has made me a little bit this year i'm 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 choosing to trust the process yeah i i'm not one of the guys i'm not someone who would be willing to panic at this point now you get toward the middle part of february maybe the end of february and you start looking around and 
Kemper lets in a few stinkers and Franzos gets hurt, I'm pulling the trigger on something because this team is too good and too close to winning to, to let it go uh, on the back of, of suspect goaltending. I haven't seen that yet. And it, it, there's, there, and that's the difference between being in the room every day and seeing these guys at practice every single day and being on the road with them and not. So, you know, you sit on the outside and speculate, but, but that, that and, would be the automatic move is flurry. And to close, to close this out and then we'll finish. Um, okay. That's, that's the thing in Colorado to continue with Colorado, you know, I've seen one or two games where, where I've looked at it and gone, okay, two or three of those goals Kemper needs to have. Right. Um, the majority of the time I'm sitting there watching, watching a game, shaking my head because, because the rest of the team is giving the puck away or is chasing circles around their own end or right. any number of things like that, which again, to, to our comment earlier about the Edmonton Oilers or about anything like that, any, any all-star Hall of Fame goaltender will eventually let the puck in the net if the team in front of him is doing shit like that. Right. So at that point, can you really put the blame on Francois and Kemper? Um, I've had, there's been a few moments where you, where you look, okay, that's a leaker. Okay. What's Kemper doing? You know, things like that. But in the past two and a half weeks, I haven't seen anything like that. Anything that's gone in against LA or Montreal last night or anything like that. I've, I've, I can point to any number of giveaways or turnovers or any number of bad penalties or any number of this or that in front of him that leads to a a hardworking team like Montreal or LA putting the puck in the net. If you don't, if you don't, if you lose your assignment and you don't clear the front of the net, Anze Kopitar is going to put the puck in the net like he did the other night. It's going to happen. So that really can't be on Kemper. So it's, it's as much on the team in front of him as it is on him. Now, if he's if all he's letting in are beach balls, now you got a problem. But if yeah, I, I don't, I don't see that. I see some, you know, I see Jack Johnson throwing a lot of pizzas in his own end, uh, and I, I, you know, I got one, and I love this kid. I love the pickup. I love the long term signing at the price that they got him, and he's a great skater. But Sam Gerrard gets pushed around. <clears throat> You've got to be in the playoffs, especially. They are going to have to be really, really careful with his matchups. If you get him against a big, heavy line, he gets knocked around, and he and he's got to move the puck quicker because that those the beatings turn into turnovers. So uh, you got to do something, and unfortunately, he might be tra- a trade piece um, just because you know he's he, he and McCarr skate just as just as well, and um, and I like Gerard, but I do too. I do too. Or has is his little tornado spin and and things like that. And when you've got Taves and Makar, you kind of already have the puck moving skating ability, um, and you're you're deep enough on defense that you can have bigger, tougher guys. Byram, if he gets healthy, um, any any number of that. Um, it's it, that that's probably more pivotal in in my book. Byron getting healthy is more pivotal than your goaltending. If he's healthy and strong and playing 23, 24 minutes a night, now you keep Jack Johnson and Sam Girard out of harm's way. You can hide them on the third pair if, if necessary. Uh, Byron's got to be healthy for the playoffs. The other guy that I think, whether he's in the press box or whether he's on the ice, whether he plays not, a, whether he never gets off the stationary bike or if he plays seven or eight minutes your dark horse mvp on that team is mcdermott i was just gonna say he's he is a deterrent he's a good deterrent to people taking liberties with your stars he's got to be around well they've done a good job um bednar's made a smart decision with him and they moved him off the back end um his skating ability is not such that he can keep up if he's at playing defense what they've done is they put him on the fourth line and now and now you're not really concerned about his skating ability because he's a fourth line big body and and things like that and that's that's a smart decision by bednar there to not have him on the back end i'll give you an example evan keep him on the fourth line and then and there and there you go and mcdermott mcdermott is a guy who 
who can throw. Yep. Seen it. He's a guy who can hit. He can go to the corners. He can be that guy. And he's the first one there. If, if the the stupid officials drop the freaking ball on Greenway running into Kemper or anything like that. So it's, which again, I'm not going down that rabbit hole. How McDermott, how McDermott got a, instigating penalty and Greenway only got two minutes is beyond me. Nonetheless, McDermott is tremendous. And I never, I didn't think I'd say that when, when we brought him in during the off season. You got to have him. I, I, I'll tell you two very quick things before we sign off. The only thing I would have probably waited on fighting Greenway if I'm McDermott until the game is in under control. Secondly, <clears throat> maybe you put him out there against uh, Kaprizov's line. Let him, even if he takes a two-minute boarding penalty, let him go out there and wallpaper Kaprizov after that Greenway hit on Kemper. That's a message received as well. Yeah. well so one, a- the other night, the other one, same exact parallel. The other night, I saw the Leafs get run out of Madison Square Garden. Ryan Reeves, just by being in the building, scared the crap out of the Maple Leafs. They they had nobody finishing a check. I don't think they made solid body contact with anyone all night, all night long, nothing. I mean, they were not willing to finish a check anywhere on the ice against anyone because they knew that Revo was coming. So that's one thing that you, and he's done that. He did it in Pittsburgh. He did it in Vegas. He's doing it in New York. And they got him because they cannot play the Washington Capitals without Revo. So those well, it's, a, guys, it's a 50-50 thing with, with what you said. It's a 50-50 thing of you run the risk if you don't respond to Greenway hitting your goaltender in the moment. Right. You run the risk of the optics being that you're, you're not engaged in the game. There's no passion. There's that. That's your goaltender. That's your teammate. Right. That's your backstop. What? What, well, he are, you, had what are you doing if Greenway does that, and then you just let him skate to the box without getting in his face? Right. Right. And you, you being a Leafs fan, have witnessed moments like that in years past of Tavares or these guys getting getting wallpapered, and everybody else just kind of skating by. Nobody can answer. So how do you? You have to answer it. So. You run the optics. You 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 run a bad optics potentially if McDermott or anybody else just skates right by Greenway and oh okay well Kemper lays on the ice. At the same time, can't do that. At the same time, is there a better time to send a message? Yes, but you also can't just let it go. You can't let it be. No, 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 no. You you are two good teams. You're two teams jockeying for position in the West and the Central, all this stuff, potentially a first or second round matchup between the two. So you you can't just let it be. So it's that 50-50 of it of, unfortunately, do you want to take an instigating penalty? No, because you want a power play. It's key. But you also can't let your goaltender lay on the ice after taking a headshot and just stand there. So – Rhetorical question for you. How is it <laughs> that player safety, and we've got to sign off because we could go on all afternoon. How is it that player safety can mandate that a guy has a head injury and goes to concussion protocol, but he didn't get hit in the head? Which is it? Yeah. Did he get hit, hit in the head, head or not? It, you can't have didn't, both. Didn't get hit in the head. But it also goes flies in, to go to the quiet room. flies in the face hypocritically of the standard that they've they operate by of of headshot guy injured on the ice injured into protocol which p- plays into suspensions right and then nothing two minute penalty and no discipline but yet he's injured you take him off the ice headshot all three standards met for a suspension and nothing. 
and yet you wonder why I have a problem with the officiating, why I have a problem with George Peros, why I have a problem with all this stuff. It, it's, it's a problem. And it's been a problem for me all season, starting with Landeskog getting suspended for, for hitting Kirby Dak. Yep. Penalty? Penalty? Yes. A penalty? Absolutely. Interference, boarding, whatever you want to call it, yes. Dak was on his knees? Yes. Suspension, when you look at everything else that's not suspending, being suspendable? You've got a problem. And it's and it's been a problem even further if you look back to Tom Wilson against Artemi Panarin and everything like that a year or so ago. You got a problem and we're to a point where where I don't care how much you want to defend officiating or how much you want to defend the league, we can no longer deny that there's a major flaw in how things are operating right now. Plain and simple. We'll end there because we can carry on forever. We're on the Hockey Podcast. This is episode 102. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, we're on the Hockey Podcast, at we the Hockey Podcast, respectively. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and iHeartRadio. Subscribe, rate, and review. YouTube as well. Hit the notification bell. Share with anybody and everybody. Uh, we appreciate your support. Um, thanks for joining me on Zoom this week. Love to be here. Thanks uh, for having me. Look absolutely. forward to next week. We got good material next week. Absolutely. Um, I'm Evan Rower with Warm the Hockey Podcast, and we'll see you all throughout the hockey community. Cheers. Cheers.